my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not sure what that word family conjures up for you as far as feelings go. For some of us, that word family means people we know that we can trust, people who, who love us, people that we can count on, who will always be there for us. For others of us, family maybe doesn't bring up those warm, fuzzy feelings. Because it reminds you of people who have let you down, who have betrayed you, who maybe choose not to forgive you. People who should be there for you and love you, but they're not. For others of us, that word family isn't about the DNA in your body, but it's about people that you have around you that are like family, that you call your family even though you're not related to them in any way. For others of us, you might ask, what family? I'm the only one left. I don't have any family to speak of anymore. I'm not sure what feelings that word family conjures up in you, but I guarantee it conjures up some feelings. And the reason is, is because family matters. No, not the 90s sitcom with Steve Urkel. Okay? Family does matter. We know that, right? We, we know what family's supposed to look like. We know what it's supposed to do. We know what we want it to be in our lives if we've experienced it or not. Family matters. It's important. You know, the Bible talks a lot about family. And not just about blood relatives, about spouses and children and parents and how they're supposed to live and love each other. It, it certainly talks about that, but, but it uses this picture of family in really a much grander way than that. A much really more meaningful way than that. And, and when you begin to grasp how God talks about what family really is in the Bible, then this idea of, of what we have of family being, you know, the, the people that we're related to here in this life really just becomes a picture or illustration of this grander, more eternal family that God speaks about in his word. And family matters to God. And, and what we're going to see as we take a look at this, this kind of difficult passage from Hebrews chapter 2 is, is two things. Number one, that, that you are a member of his family. And you are a member of this family family. Because family matters to God. Maybe you've heard it said before. Uh, maybe you've heard someone say that, you know, everyone, all people on this planet, we're all God's children. Right, and I think what people mean by that is usually that, well, well, God has given everybody on this earth life, right? He created us all. And if you believe in him or not, or, or you worship a different God or the true God, it doesn't matter. We're all God's children because we're all created by him. But the fact is, the Bible never talks like that. Because instead of calling us all God's children, you know what it calls us? We're all God's enemies. By nature, we are all enemies of God. Right? Diametrically, fundamentally, absolutely, by nature, we are opposed to God. He is holy and we are not. He is perfect and we are not. Right? We, by nature, we want nothing to do with God and who he is and what he says. 
We're not his family by nature. We're his foes by nature. And yes, even though God has in his love and compassion, even though he provides for all people, he provides even for his enemies, right? he gives us everything we need physically for this life. There are no spiritual blessings for those who are enemies of God. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no peace between them and God. There is no hope of anything after the grave. None of that. But the amazing thing about our God, the amazing thing about this God who created the heavens and the earth with his word, says he wants you to be part of his family. That he doesn't want to be your enemy. And in order for that to happen, it can't be some sort of deal that you work with God. It can't be some sort of partnership where he does something and you, you come in and do something too. It has to be that God comes to sinful man. It has to be that God himself enters into our brokenness, into our hopelessness, into this evil, sinful world, and makes things right. That he has to take us from being his foes to being his family. And that's what our lesson from Hebrews chapter 2 is talking about this morning. How God takes his enemies who are hopeless and brings us to eternal hope. Who takes us from being covered in guilt to being showered with grace. Who takes us from being condemned to an eternity apart from him as his enemy to the promise of an eternal life with him. Where God himself takes us from foe to family. So how did he do this? How did this come about? Well, if you look at Hebrews chapter 2, it's our second lesson printed out for you in the service folder if you want to follow along there, if you have a Bible. Hebrews chapter 2, we're beginning at verse 9. Right there in verse 9, it says this. It says, We see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels, in order for God to take us from foe to family, he had to be made lower than the angels. Think about that for just a second. This is the Son of God from eternity. This is the word by which everything was created. Present and involved in creation. Who created the angels makes himself lower than the angels. Makes himself lower than his creation. He becomes part of his creation. As the Son of God himself becomes man, becomes human. And why did he have to do that? Why did he have to be made lower than the angels? Why did he have to become human? It says, so that he could suffer death, there in verse 9. So that he could taste death for everyone. So that he could become God's enemy for you. So that he could take the punishment that you deserved... God's enemy, as his foe, as someone who is diametrically and fundamentally and absolutely opposed to everything about God, that Jesus took your place. And at that cross, as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his back on his own son and said, I don't know you. You have nothing to do with me. Right now, you are my enemy because you are covered in sin and guilt and shame, not your own. But those that you have taken this punishment on for, you and, you and me. 
That at that cross, he suffered and he tasted death for you and for me. Took the punishment that we deserved. God himself took your place. God himself came and walked this earth and walked to a cross and died on a cross so that you could be his family. So that you could be part of his family. And why would God do this? Why, what would move Jesus to be willing to leave heaven? To be willing to walk this earth? To be willing to suffer and die for, for his enemies like you and me? It says right there in verse 9, it says, It's all by the grace of God. It's all by the grace of God that he tasted death for everyone. It's not because, because God saw some sort of worth or merit in us. It's not because we were trying really, really hard and God said, oh, I'll come in and finish up, finish up the work for you. It's not because we tried our best and Jesus will come in and do the rest. It's simply grace. God's undeserved, no strings attached, unconditional love for sinners like us. That it was nothing more than out of love for us, he wanted to make us his foes by nature, his family. And the result of what Jesus has done, right there again in verse 9, it says, As Jesus, he was, made a little lower than the, he was made lower than the angels for a little while, but now is crowned with glory and honor. Right? This Jesus did not stay dead. He died on that Good Friday as an enemy of God the Father. He was put in that tomb, but three days later was raised again. And now is ascended and has all glory and all honor and rules all things for us. His sons and daughters. That's what God calls you now. His sons and his daughters. Look at verse 10 right at the beginning. He has brought many sons and daughters to glory. Christ Jesus, what he accomplished for you, has brought you into glory. Right? Jesus is right now in glory, right? In, in heaven, in all of his splendor. But right now, you are in glory. You are holy in God's sight. You are no longer his enemy. You are no longer his foe, but you are his sons and his daughters. The almighty God of heaven and earth is your father. Who has brought you into glory and says, you are a member of my family. You are mine. You are loved. You are my sons and my daughters. Through what your savior Jesus Christ has done for you. And you know what that does with our relationship with Jesus? goes on in the next verse. He says, both the one, verse 11, both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's you and me, right, brought into glory as sons and daughters of God. We are made holy, made righteous in God's sight because of what Christ did for us. We are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. You are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. The one who came to live for you and to die for you and to arise for you and is ascended for you and rules all things as the king of heaven and earth is your brother. He is your brother. And this is a brother, unlike earthly family, this is a brother who will never let you down, who will always be for there, who will always meet every single one of your needs and never fail you. 
The writer of the Hebrews goes on in the next couple of verses, and this gets a little difficult here, but these are Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. The, the Spirit leads the writer to the Hebrews to, to make the connection, to connect the dots between these Old Testament passages, prophecies, and Jesus. So, so in verses 12 and 13, you're hearing these Old Testament words from Psalms and from Isaiah in the mouth of Jesus, the Son of God. And the first thing he says, the, father, uh, the Son is talking to his fathers. God the Son is talking to God the Father. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And what that means is Jesus is saying, Father, I'm with my brothers and sisters. When they gather together, when they assemble, I am there with them. What that means, dear brothers and sisters, is that Jesus is here right now with us. And he is proclaiming the name of the Father to us. He is proclaiming his goodness and his love and his compassion and his mercy to us through the word. He comes to us through that gospel and builds us up and strengthens us in our faith. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to come forward and we're going to receive the very body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. Dear friends, Jesus Christ, our brother, is present with us right here. That's a promise he makes to you. And then he goes on. These, there's these uh, verses from Isaiah that are quoted. These, again, Jesus talking. He says, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. And, and what Jesus is saying here is, is, Father, I put my trust in your plan. Father, I knew how difficult it would be to take these foes and make them our family. I knew the suffering and the death that it would cost me, Jesus says. But I put my trust in your plan. And now, here, here are your sons and daughters. And I stand shoulder to shoulder with them as their brother. And I present them to you as holy, as yours, as mine. Jesus presents us to our Heavenly Father. And he says, these are the children God has given me. You belong to him. So what does this all mean? This all sounds really nice, right? <laughs> we're God's children. We're brother. Jesus is our brother, right? We, we know that we'll, we'll get to stand with God someday. But what does that mean for today? What does it mean as you walk out these doors today? How does this impact your life this week? It's an important question to ask, isn't it? Because what we come together to talk about and, and learn about here is not just theoretical. It's not just these, these lofty you know, theological thoughts, but this matters for real life. This impacts how you live and how you look at your life. And so the writer of the Hebrews has some words to us to say how this impacts. This is Jesus. Look at verse 14 and 15. So since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What this means for your life today, this week, is that Jesus came and shared in your humanity walked this earth, 
came and died to free you from fear of death. To break the power of Satan over you. Do you understand how that changes your life? Do you understand how that frees you? You do not have to fear death. You do not have to worry about the, 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 the shadows of death, right? As, as you get aches and pains and sickness and, and, and you think about this life and all of the events going on in our world that just might be absolutely scary. You have nothing to fear. Because you have a Lord and Savior and a brother who has defeated death for you. Has destroyed it. Because you know that no matter what happens, you are safe. You know that you have life. Life now here and life forever with him. All fear, all worry, all anxiety can be gone. You have nothing to worry about, not even death itself. And that power of Satan, that power of the devil is broken. He has no power over you anymore. Right? Maybe sometimes you wonder, man, I just feel like I'm being controlled by him. Right? And that he just comes and he seems so powerful and cunning with his lies and his temptations. But, but that power of Satan has been broken. He has removed that power of the devil. You belong to God, not to Satan. You are his. You are safe in him. He no longer has any control over you. You are free. Think about what that means for your life, dear friends. You are set free from the power of the devil. You're set free with the power of Christ living in you to live for God. You are free to live in that peace that you have life now and you have life forever. Jesus comes and he changes our lives for us and how we look at our lives and how we get to live our lives. But he just doesn't say these things. He comes and he continues to come to us. It says there in verse uh, where are we at? 16, right? It's not angels Jesus helps. He didn't come to help angels, but he, came to, he comes to help Abraham's descendants. And that's you and me. Right? By faith, we are descendants of Abraham. By faith, we trust in the promise of a Savior that has now been fulfilled. We, he comes to help us. And, and the writer of the Hebrews mentions two things that he continues to come and help us with, right? right? As, we, as we go about our week, as we go about our lives, two things he comes to help us with. Number one, you got this hard passage where it talks about how oh, he's human in every way. He became a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God. And he made atonement for the sins of the people. What that's telling you is that every day Jesus comes to you and reminds you, your sins are forgiven. I came to not offer sacrifices like an earthly priest. I came to offer myself as the sacrifice to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I am the perfect and once for all sacrifice so that you know without a doubt every sin is forgiven. He comes and he helps us as he points us back to the cross, back to that altar of the cross where he shed his blood so that we can know without a doubt that when we fall, when we fail, we are forgiven fully and freely. And in addition to that, look at the last verse, verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus comes and he reminds you of the forgiveness of sins that he won for you at the cross and gives you that peace that comes through that. But he also says, I'm there for you when you face temptation. 
Because I've walked your shoes, I know what it's like. I've faced every temptation you do. I know what it's like, and I defeated every one of them for you, and now I come to strengthen you when those temptations come. Think about how your brother Jesus helps you every day of your life. Freed you from the power of Satan, freed you from fear of death, and still every day continues to come and to point you to the cross for your forgiveness and to strengthen you as you face temptation. What a faithful, true, wonderful brother and savior we have in Jesus. By God's grace, we are members of his family. All by what he has done and does for us and will do for us and, and not because of us. To take us from foes to family because he loves us. And wants you to have hope and peace and joy right now and with him forever. There's even more than that. God blesses us even more than that, if you can imagine. Because when Jesus made us brothers and sisters of himself, you know what he also did? He made us brothers and sisters of each other. That he has called us into a family. He has called us into a spiritual family, right? And we are family who are gathered here, not because of the blood that runs through our veins, though some of you are related, but all of us, are united by the blood of Jesus. That blood that saves. That blood that forgives. That blood that unites us into one family. And that's why what we have here is so special. Just take a look around for a moment. Look around. It's okay. You can look around at other people. Look, look around this church. Look at your brothers and sisters. God has called you into this family. And this is a family that is not just for this life, but it's for eternity. We are family forever because we are united by the blood of Jesus. And that is so special, isn't it? Because what that means is that we get to treat each other and love each other and forgive each other and encourage each other as brothers and sisters in faith. Right? That this is a place where you can come and help carry each other's burdens. That you can come and forgive each other's sins. That you can come and encourage one another and build each other up in faith. Here you get to come and confess together and sing together and pray together and stand shoulder to shoulder at the Lord's table together as a family of faith. And this isn't something we have to do. Gathering as a family of faith isn't something you have to do. It's something you get to do. We get to come together. We get to strengthen one another and be strengthened. We get to carry each other's burdens. We get to love one another and serve each other. God would never tell us to do something that would be harmful for us. God would never tell us to do something bad. And so when he tells us, gather together. Gather with your family of faith to encourage and admonish and love and serve and encourage and, and build each other up, it's always going to be good for us. You know, I, it, maybe you've been here every single Sunday for many, many years. And maybe you've forgotten just how, because of the routine, you've forgotten how special what we do here and what we are here really is. 
to be a family of faith, united by that blood of Jesus. Maybe you've been here a little irregularly, right? You're kind of here, not here, sometimes, sometimes yes, sometimes no, and, and you're realizing that this is something that I'm missing, and I need to do this more and more. I need to be with my family of faith. I need to spend time with my brother Jesus in his word. Or maybe you haven't been here in a really long time, for whatever reason, but you're here now, and you're realizing this is what was missing in my life. Time with God, time with my brother Jesus, time with my brothers and sisters in faith. And wherever you're at on that spectrum, wherever you're at, you're home now. And this is a place where you know that you are loved. And that this is a safe haven and a refuge. That this is a place where you will be encouraged and you will be built up and you will see your brother Jesus. God promises that. I'm not sure what that word family means to you. What kind of feelings that word conjures up. If it's, if it's baggage... If it's sadness, loneliness, warmth, love, whatever that word family means to you, I hope, I hope you've got a bigger, grander, more eternal definition of what God says family is. He says you are his family through Christ. You are his children. And he longs to bless you. And he longs to keep you as his children. He longs to continue to pour out these spiritual blessings upon you as you gather in his house as you gather around his word and sacrament. And here is a family. Here is a family of faith that lasts not just for this hour or just for this life, but for eternity. You see, family matters. And the church, God says, is your family family that by grace you are part of, that you are a member of, that you are blessed by, and that gives us the opportunity to glorify our Father in heaven and our brother Jesus, who has done all things perfectly for us. Amen.